We've debated a lot about when we talk about teaching, debating about the word vocation. I think a lot of people are drawn to teaching as more than just a career. They're drawn to it as a calling, a way to make an impact long into the future, to take things that they're good at or have gotten to be really good at and make this huge difference in the world. On one hand, something like a vocation is deeply integral into your identity and and who you are. On the other hand, it can be dangerous. It can it can lead you to feel like you have to devote so much of yourself to this one thing that it actually becomes almost unsustainable or incompatible with some of the things you want to do in your life until you learn to make it something a little different than a vocation, to keep that kind of fire in you without letting it be consuming. Welcome to season six of the Teacher Collaborative Podcast. This season, we're going to explore the teacher identity and take a look at how and why a teacher's job becomes a teacher's life. We'll hear from teachers in their own voices about the joy and challenge they find in this intersection, how they navigate their time, and the tools they've developed to find the balance of it all. In addition to hearing from teachers, the people who drive the work, we're rotating hosts this season so you can meet the Teacher Collaborative team, the people behind the work. Welcome to the last episode of Season 6. Today, we're changing the format of the podcast so that you can hear from the people behind the work at the Teacher Collaborative. So for listeners who may be unfamiliar with our work, what we do, and who we are, the Teacher Collaborative is first and foremost a community where pre-K-12 educators from any school in Massachusetts can collaborate, innovate, and problem-solve together. In our work, we activate educators' capacity to transform teaching and learning toward equity and excellence. We offer professional learning and collaboration opportunities for teachers who are looking to tackle challenges or take on new leadership roles at their schools. At our core, we believe that teachers matter and teachers are the experts, and our programming is really designed to highlight and showcase that. We work to build community among incredible educators as well as truly and organically support them in their growth. So if this sounds like you, check us out. We're always happy to grow our community. Now to today's conversation. Before we get started, I want to give everyone a chance to introduce themselves. Hi, everyone. My name is Maria Fenwick, and I am the founder and executive director at the Teacher Collaborative. My name is Carrie Boland, and I'm the director of operations here at the Teacher Collaborative. My name is Diana LeBeau, and I'm senior director of programs at the Teacher Collaborative. My name is Emily Soto, and I am a program manager here at the Teacher Collaborative. And I'm Rachel Bloom. You all know me as a host of this podcast, but day to day, I'm also a program manager. So I'm curious, in our work with teachers, what do you all think makes teachers so connected to the profession and to this work? I think to some extent, teachers feel so connected because every single one of us was a student at some point. And just like anybody who goes through the school system, we have really strong feelings about those 12, 14 years of our lives that, they, that we were students. And we saw what worked and what didn't work for different students what teachers inspired us and made us ultimately excited to kind of step into those shoes ourselves. And I think that ability to have that kind of impact on, you know, the next generation of young people is a hard thing to to pass up if you have the inclination. And, and I think for a lot of teachers, those relationships with students and that ability to have an impact that feels so personal is going to be what keeps them coming back. 
It was really ironic that also both Eva and Raymond had family members that were also educators. So it feels like this connection to community and this connection to education came from having lifelong teachers embedded in their families. So I thought a lot about just my own connection to teaching and the educators that were around me, my colleagues, and we were all very passionate about just community work. When I was transitioning out of the classroom and kind of figuring out what was next for me, and I heard in a lot of the research that I was doing, like as you're pivoting out of the classroom, think of, or, or changing your resume, think of like your students and your families, use, use clients for that language as well. And I remember that was so hard for me to wrap my head around. And granted, I had never worked in another field or outside of education, but I was like, I don't know that most people care about their clients in the way that I care about students and families, right? And I think that just speaks to, you know, while there's while there's comparisons, I think the the work is so deeply personal and even on the hardest days, there's still just just young people standing in front of you, right? They're still just kids. So I truly can't think of a day and there were many, many hard ones, right? But I can't think of a day where it was all bad, right? Even if it was like the hardest, hardest day of my eight years, right? There were always so many, like it could be one hello from like a sweet little face in the hallway. And you always had that coupled with any of the challenge or any of the growth. So I think kind of that, that personal piece of it was, was always there for me. That's what I was thinking about too, Rachel, is just teaching. I, I still remember walking in and being, you know, a pretty young teacher and kind of being like, oh wait, I'm in charge here, as all these faces are looking back at me and looking at me for direction. And in that moment, you're kind of like, okay, I am your leader. <laughs> Let's do this, for better or for worse. And I think as you experience teaching, the kids watch you mess up. They watch you have an awesome teaching moment, but they're, they're there for the ride. They see all of it along with you. And so I think that that does create a very special bond between teachers and students that makes it just unlike any other job. Whenever I talk about uh, my time in the classroom, I always think about it was the hardest and best thing all wrapped in one. That there'll be never something that I do that is part of a job, but nothing else has the same rewards of those connections that you make with the students, those aha moments that there's just something special about it that you just don't get in in other professions. And I feel like you heard that come through with the other teachers that we talked to of like the passion and the excitement in it, that it's not all easy. It's not all perfect, but there's those moments with uh, this, the students and those connections that just keep you coming back. How much do you, or did you resonate with this deep connection that we hear so many teachers speak about? And we heard our podcast guests speak about between teaching and identity. Um, when I started teaching, I was pretty young and I didn't have children of my own. I lived with, I think, my boyfriend who then became my husband. But so it was, it was honestly really easy for teaching to just become my whole life. I was staying up late and working on stuff. I was working on stuff on the weekends. And at that time in my life, that felt okay to me. I could really just like completely give myself over to teaching. Like I was the teacher who would be the last one to leave the building. I remember once I set the alarm off upon leaving because the custodian didn't know I was still there and the alarm got set. I also can say that that was a burnout track. There's no way that I could have maintained that level of energy and focus and time for very long. Yeah. When I think about that attachment to teaching as 
part of one's identity. I still feel like in my heart, like I identify as a teacher, even though I haven't been in a traditional classroom teaching roles for a decade. I've still felt like it's been part of how I apply some of what I did as a teacher to everything else that I do, working with teachers. When I had experience as an administrator, when I was working outside of schools, there's always that teacher way that I thought about. And I come back to a word we've debated a lot about when we talk about teaching, debating about the word vocation. I think a lot of people are drawn to teaching as more than just a career. They're drawn to it as a calling, a way to make an impact long into the future, to take things that they're good at or have gotten to be really good at and make this huge difference in the world. On one hand, something like a vocation is deeply integral into your identity and and who you are. On the other hand, it can be dangerous. It can it can lead you to feel like you have to devote so much of yourself to this one thing that it actually becomes almost unsustainable or incompatible with some of the things you want to do in your life until you learn to make it something a little different than a vocation, to keep that kind of fire in you without letting it be consuming. When I was teaching, I definitely would say teaching was my identity, that I slept, breathed, ate, like everything was around teaching. I lived with two other teachers, so a lot of our conversations were around teaching, bouncing ideas off of each other, decompressing about our day, the highs and the lows, that it was all-encompassing and it was hard not to. Listening to, I believe it was Julie's, she talked about like leaving it at the door and just how hard it is to leave things at the door when you leave, especially when it's some of the emotional stuff that goes along with it. So it might be easy to leave. I need to finish that grading at the door. I can do that tomorrow. But those conversations with that student who's struggling or that student who like had a rough day outside of school, I feel like all those emotional things where you come connected to students and you want to be able to help them grow, not just in the classroom, but as people, those were the things that were hard to leave at the door because you become so invested in the students and you want them to be successful. So it's hard not to have it become all consuming. Um, and you just are part of these, you spend a lot of time with these students that you become part of their lives. And so I think that like helps with the connection, but it also then makes it hard not for it to be an all encompassing type of job because you just start, you care so much about the students and that caring doesn't stop when you walk outside of your classroom doors. Yeah. In fact, I can definitely say I cried so frequently after school, after I walked out of those doors for so many different reasons, but there's just this deep emotional investment that, yeah, that it feels so built into that job. I also came out and laughed and talked about wonderful things more than I think most jobs do too, but that deep emotional feeling that you talked about, Carrie, is something I definitely relate to. I think for me, it was also a deep and very personal experience because I was a homegrown educator. Like my first class, one of the students in that class was my childhood best friend's niece. So here I am basically teaching folks that are important to my life. This is very much for me, community work. And the students, you know, as a a woman of color, as a BIPOC educator, the students that were in front of me looked like me, came from my community, my background. Their parents are very similar to my parents. So their success and achievement was very much personal to me. 
because the for me it was like it's like me sitting in that seat or my younger brothers and sisters sitting in that same seat and I would want to provide them the best of the best and the pressure was on and when I joined Teach for America and I was a homegrown educator I had this conversation with the homegrown recruiter at the time which was Dr. Maria Novas, who is just a phenomenal woman in my life. And I made it very clear. I said, hey, I'm not teaching unless I am teaching in Boston. I need to serve my people. I need to serve my community. And coming also from like a sociology criminal justice background, I knew what the impact was of the students in front of me if I did not give them my best. And that was the the burnout. That's when like the personal and the professional were always mixed and intertwined. And I was never able to leave this teaching identity. And a lot of beautiful moments came from that. And also some really tough ones. Yeah, I think a word that every teacher can deeply connect to, for better or for worse, is flexibility, right? It's like almost a superpower skill that I think universally most teachers have found a way to really master. And I think, Carrie, specifically, you were talking about there's things that happen that you just, you feel that are a priority, right? And they're quite often unpredictable because humans in general are unpredictable and kids are certainly unpredictable, especially when you have 25 plus of them in one room on any given day. So in learning how to be so flexible and so responsive to the needs of your school and the needs of your students, that's where that line gets blurred, right? Of, oh, well, I have my boundaries and I know that the workday is over, but this thing happened at 4.30 and I have to address it before 9 a.m. tomorrow, right? So it's in an effort to be really responsive and present that that, that line gets blurred. From your touch points with teachers across the year and over, over the course of the year, what do you get the sense that teachers are really hungry for right now in terms of access or learning or opportunities for growth? I think teachers are always hungry for connection with other teachers. It's something that we have been hearing about since the very, very beginning of us doing programming was just like, wow, I've never sat next to a teacher from a charter school before. And here I am able to understand, you know, what her workday is like or what her school is like. And I can make comparisons to my school and I can learn from like, hey, that sounds like a much better way to do it. And I also have a lot to give. So I think that that opportunity to feel part of a really strong and vibrant and smart profession that we see from like where we sit working with a lot of different teachers. I think teachers need to and want to experience that and feel that for themselves. And that comes a lot through the opportunities to just connect with other teachers. And I'm adding to that uh, in my role, I have less interaction with the teachers, but I interact a lot with the data, the stuff behind the scenes. And reading the surveys and thoughts from the the teachers, I feel like Maria talked about, you just see that come off the paper, the excitement of the connections they made, how they're re-energized after having these conversations with other teachers. And you can really tell how those rich interactions have kind of breathe new life into some people that he's kind of given them some energy and really made them excited to have that time that I know thinking back to when I'm teacher that those conversations with other teachers were some of the best parts, but they were often very hard to do because you had no time to do them. And so I can know from my, my experience that I would have, those are the parts that I would have loved too. those times where you can really talk, collaborate, bounce ideas, just have those sometimes candid conversations to really kind of help each other and kind of boost each other up when you need it. I would definitely agree. But I would also add that I think there's a thirst for teachers to feel like their voices can be heard and that they can have an impact 
beyond just their classroom because I think a lot of teachers get into it to make an impact. And then inevitably, there's always bureaucratic red tape and other people talking on very loud microphones. And I think there's something really powerful in teachers coming together to not only learn, not only share their stories, but also to figure out how to have a louder voice together. And what are the things that once they realize they're not alone in something they think needs to change or something that they want to do, suddenly it becomes a little bit more tempting to actually try to, to be listened to by, yes, their peers, but also others who work in schools, others who don't work in schools who need to know what's going on and to work collectively and to help each other make those impacts expand and deepen. There is a major educational shift happening, right, all across the nation. We are in a much more focused social-emotional learning, culture-responsive teaching, equity-lens instructions and practices. And I think that teachers are passionate. Teachers want to do best by their students and serve their students. And they want to do this with materials and curriculum and instruction that can serve the students in front of them. And I think that they're hungry for those instructional opportunities to learn how to you know, provide this in their curriculum, in their classrooms. And I think that with knowing this and with the folks that we have in our team, we are very intentional about what professional development opportunities we are putting out there for teachers. We want to be able to fill the gaps that their districts and their schools are not providing for them so that their learning can feel more individual to, and tailored to the needs that they want projected in their classrooms. And I think that teachers are really hungry for that. I think before, professional development just seemed like something for, you know, oh, we have to do this. This is mandated in, in our contract, or we have to do this as a part of our after-school team meetings. But Teachers are seeking opportunities to learn. Absolutely. Something that goes beyond the kind of compliance checkbox. Right. Yeah, and I think we know that teachers struggle with day in and day out. It's, it's just having time to get things done, right? So not even just having enough time to fulfill your contractual duties, but then also to think about your own growth and development. And I have a really unique experience that I participated in some teacher collaborative programming when I was still in the classroom. And then now I'm really grateful to be part of the team. And I remember a collab that I participated in was all around family communication and engagement. And that was by and large, my most favorite part of the work always. I loved working with our community. I loved engaging with our families, whether good or bad. I loved reaching out to families. Kids were always like, you're always texting my mom. And I was like, yeah, well, I just kind of like talking to your mom too. So I'll tell her whatever you're doing, it's your choice. Um, but I think something that I really appreciated about that collab is even though it was top of the brain for me always, I loved family engagement. I didn't have time to just sit down and think critically about the ways that I could improve my practices around family engagement or the ways that I could be more of a leader around that work for my school and for other teachers. So not only did I have protected time and was it like a well-facilitated learning opportunity with resources, but it also wasn't free time. I was paid and I was compensated and I was given like a really safe professional learning space that also recognized my time and availability. And that, I think the coupling of those two allowed me to really engage with that work that was important to me in a really thoughtful and reflective way. We've heard a lot of teachers, it's part of the national conversation right now, but also some of our, our guests on previous episodes shared this question around burnout, right? And and what a big impact, not only not only for teachers who have burned out, right? Myself being one of them, but for teachers who who don't want to burn out. And it feels like this constantly looming threat, like, 
from the second you're in a, a teacher prep program, they tell you the stats about teacher burnout, right? It's just always kind of overhead. So in thinking about our community that we've built and that we're continuing to grow and build across the state, how do you think our community of teachers and our community of support can kind of support teachers and staying where they want to be and staying there for as long as they want and also kind of combating that looming threat of burnout. This is an area that's really ripe for teacher input and perspective. There are have been experiments nationally with kind of rethinking teachers workday and the how the job is structured and things like that. And I actually spent a year team teaching in a fourth grade class, which is a whole other thing <laughs> that I can tell you about in a minute. But, you know, there are, there have been kind of experiments with like, what, what would happen if we just thought of the job a little bit differently? And I think if we wanted to see like real change, it would mean like actually adopting some of those changes in really broad ways. But I think regardless of whether or how or when that change would happen. It has to happen with teacher input. It has to happen with people who have done that or people who do the job to be able to be at the table and say, yes, I think this will work. Yes, I'm willing to try this. Or no, I foresee a lot of unintended consequences. So I feel like there is potential there. I have no idea how likely something like that would be. It feels unlikely to me. The system the K-12 education system is just really slow to change. And so I would be really surprised to see like a sweeping big change. But to go back to my experience team teaching for a minute, this was when I was teaching in Boston and there was a way that was had been negotiated between the Boston Teachers Union and Boston Public Schools, a way to set up a halftime role. And you basically could either have identified a match already that you wanted to co-teach with, or you could come to a meeting and there's kind of like a round table and people could say, this is who I am and what I teach. And I'm interested in finding a match. So they did facilitate some matchmaking. I ended up doing this with a very good friend of mine who I'd known for many years. I already knew going into it that we had, we had similar styles and philosophies, and I don't think it would have been possible otherwise. I also will say we spent a lot of time in those in the fall texting each other <laughs> to say, hey, the kid said that you said that this was okay. Is that true? <laughs> and the other one being like, not exactly. <laughs> um, so it, it took a lot of like extra communication. And so it was possible. It was hard. So I guess there are these models out there. There are ways to experiment. I feel like it's still pretty piecemeal, but it's an area where teachers could and should be leading. It's interesting when I talk to teachers, I'm always talking about designing at the margins for students, right? It's like this universal design principle. And I think about the same things for teachers. What would it mean for us to look at the schools that are having the hardest time retaining teachers and, and the ones that are really having teachers thrive and, and not want to leave, what would it mean to really, truly listen to BIPOC educators who have so frequently been marginalized? And what would it mean to listen to, you know, the teachers who retire after 60 years in the career? And what would it mean to, to have those folks kind of at the extremes and figure out what's in common in the cases where the teachers are staying and, and what's in common in the cases where the teachers are not able to stay and trying to figure out what are our highest priorities? What are the things that will have huge leverage if we just make a few switches? Because I agree, I would love to be audacious and completely reshape so many aspects of the profession 
starting with, you know, what are teachers saying? Let's listen to them. Let's have them at the table. But given the inertia of the education system, I think we can start with a little bit of incremental change. You know, let's see the things that feel the most promising and go there. Let's look at the things that are the most challenging and try to innovate in that area. And I, and I think we've had a chance to hear some of those voices this year through the Teacher Time Task Force, for example, where we had a program where we, we had a whole group really dedicated to that sort of innovative thinking about what's not working. And some of the work we've done that's really specifically focused on the experience of BIPOC educators, we've gotten to hear about the the extra burdens and challenges and and roadblocks to those teachers being able to make the kind of difference they want to make and stay in the profession. And I think we could learn a lot from those stories. And I want to find that balance between being audacious and and making these sweeping changes that will dramatically impact retention and listening just enough to know the little changes that can have a huge impact. Speaking on little changes, folks were not talking much about burnout in the spaces that I was in, um, probably until the pandemic. And that's when like the conversation really started to take a focus on like teacher burnout and what can we do to support teachers. And I think that one thing that helped me in the institution that I was a part of the school at the time during the pandemic and remote learning era, (laughs) good times, was the message from leaders in administration. Like, you know what, teachers, y'all carry so much. It is okay to not be okay and really centering that conversation around teacher mental health. And it's not enough to just have those conversations. I think it's really important to be proactive about it instead of being reactive and telling teachers, you have your sick days, but you can also use your sick days as mental health days. And I think that was major and really shift the conversation to, I'm tired, I'm burnt out, but at least the school that I'm working at is acknowledging that and giving me the grace and the space to be able to take the time that I need. And from my knowledge, that's still something that's in place today in this particular school. I know that there's other institutions that operate a little bit different and really do put that pressure on teachers of like, you need to be your best self. You need to be here. We need to be here for our students. And that's a lot. And that's what's kind of continuing to cycle that that burnout through schools. And like Diana, like you were saying, if we can maybe look at to, into the schools that have the higher retention rates, if we can look at their insight data and see what's the teacher culture and adult culture working in that school or looking like, that teachers feel supported. And when teachers feel heard and supported, the outcome, hopefully, would be that feeling of a little bit less burnout or some strategies to combat burnout. What you're saying, Emily, about teachers being able to take the day off. I remember as a teacher, like taking the day off felt a hundred times harder than just going, <laughs> all the prep work that you had to do and things like that. And also the lack of availability of subs is a huge problem. And so that's another thing. It's like, you can take the day off, but is one of your colleagues going to end up covering your class? It, like sometimes my class got divided up across other classrooms for the day because they just literally didn't have anybody. And so that's also something that, that that feels like an area that's ripe for improvement that would dramatically improve teachers' ability to say, you know what, I do need to take a day off and I can do that without feeling like I'm being a huge burden to my colleagues and also like potentially like giving my kids a really tough day by just, you know, you, you just never know who might be there or not be there for them. Um, so I think that's just something I would add in terms of like a thing that could actually be worked on. Similar to that, we didn't have 
subs at our school. So if I took the day off, that meant all of my colleagues now didn't have their prep because they had to spend their prep teaching my classroom. So you felt guilty taking the day off, even if you needed to for whatever reason, because you know you just made your colleagues' day a lot harder when they're already working hard and that they need that prep in order to be prepared for the next day or that day. So it felt felt extra hard because the burden then went on to your, your colleagues. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I had a conversation with a school leader after I had left from the school I had taught at, and he said, so like in your time away and from your own reflections, like what, what do you think we need as a, as a community and as a school? And the first thing that came to mind and the first thing I said to him is just listen to your teachers. They just need to be heard, right? And they need, they need support and resources to pull it off, right? So I think Denise spoke in her episode and also in some programming she's done for us over the year about, you know, one way that she sets boundaries is by saying no, right? Or by saying like, sure, I'd love to do that for you, but what time can you offer me to do that? What what can you take off my plate so I can put something on my plate, right? And I think even just listening to that statement, like I can't think of a single teacher I've interacted with in my own experiences and our work as an org that if there was a problem that they had a good solution to, they wouldn't be so psyched to dig in and and, and do that work. Not only for their students, but for the school and the system and their colleagues, right? Teachers are givers naturally. But I think there there seems to be a, a piece across the board where people don't seem to be listening to the to the actual words and messages that teachers are sending. And I think that disconnect is kind of Maria what you spoke about that things move real, real slow in this world. What is the vision for the profession? Where do we want to see it go and grow? I would love for teaching to be seen as a profession or a vocation that doesn't, that isn't one of those things where you say teaching is great, but teaching is so, so wonderful. And you have these awesome moments and it's just like the best job you'll ever have. But, you know, (laughs) and, and so I'd like to see us take away some of those like buts, which are real. It's going to be the best job you'll ever had. And also you're going to feel really, really burned out all the time. Those two things do not both need to be true. So I think trying to figure out how can we just remove some of those barriers and take away some of the things that make it hard. They don't have to both exist. (laughs) I'd love to see the education profession evolve into something that is more collegial, more collaborative, and really leverages the creative power that teachers bring to the profession in a way that I think doesn't always happen now. Teachers are asked to go along with new policies. They're asked to learn according to the priorities that are set by people that usually aren't themselves currently teaching much more often. then they are given the chance to to drive the kind of professional learning they want to see and know that they need, know that their students need them to have. I think a lot of teachers enter the profession because they love setting up strong learning experiences with their students and then wind up finding out that a lot is out of their hands, a lot is out of their control. A lot of curriculum is built around Things that are we know are really important, like ensuring that students are learning grade level work and, and according to the standards. But all of a sudden, that's one less way for the teachers to exert that creativity. So finding opportunities for teachers to use that creative power to really leverage that drive, I think will will help teachers feel like regardless of their their where they stand on the scale of 
not at all to, to very burnt out, it'll be a motivator. And then if we can chip away at that burnout factor, if we can find ways for more of the teacher's day is in their hands to, to drive, I think we'll start to see that number of teachers burning out go down. When I talk about my transition out of the classroom, I always tell people it wasn't what I wanted, but I came to learn after a couple of years that it was definitely what I needed. And I think for me, Maria, similar as you said, to as you said, those two things shouldn't exist next to each other. If there are incredible teachers who want to stay in the classroom forever, I always said I would be a career lifelong classroom teacher. That is all I wanted. And despite that, I think the message is, oh, you're a great teacher, you should become an administrator. Or, oh, you're a great teacher, you should move out of the classroom to do something bigger, right? And I think for all of the incredible educators that we know are in classrooms, not just across Massachusetts, but across the world, right? They should be able to stay exactly where they are, doing exactly what they want to do. And that being said, they should be really supported in doing that work, right? They should be given opportunities to grow while staying in their classroom if that's where they want to be. They should be given increased compensation over the years while staying and improving their own practice and and um, doing what it is they signed up to do, which is to, to teach and grow and nurture kids and, and do it well. I think currently right now, in terms of what's happening locally, supporting the Educator Diversity Act, and I think a lot about how do we create culturally sustaining spaces for BIPOC educators to feel seen, heard, supported, have pathways to leadership opportunities, have a seat at the table when it comes to decision making in educational spaces. And that can be in many ways, through committees as teachers or leadership pathways. Um, but I think a lot about the voices that are not centered when we're talking about the profession, when we're talking about education, and that's something that I would like to see in the vision of this profession of how do we include voices that often are not heard and create a, a profession that feels inclusive of everyone. Thank you so much, everybody. I feel really grateful to be part of this team. And I think, you know, as we kind of wrap up our year alongside the alongside teachers years where we're really able to see not only the huge the large amounts of growth that that teachers have made over the course of the year um, but also the the impact that they have on on their students and their colleagues and kind of the ed community overall um, and I'm really excited to see how we can continue to grow not only in our work as an org and you know our 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 offerings and programs that we that we can that are available, things like that, but also just to, to grow that community and, and really be a home for teachers who are looking for support and learning and community. So thanks everyone. Thanks for joining us for today's conversation. You can learn more about the Teacher Collaborative by visiting our website, theteachercollaborative.org, or by following us on social media at the Teacher Collab, that's C-O-L-A-B with one L. And if you enjoy this show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Special thanks to today's guests and to all the awesome teachers out there who show up with love, creativity, compassion, and energy every day. Thanks to teacher Ben Truboff for our theme music, The Dusty Pencil Sharpener. And additional thanks to our amazing producer, Mijan Zulu, for translating our vision into a high-quality podcast and creating additional music. <laughs>